Dusky goes through it again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. I'm Billy, and with me as always is a man whose goalkeeping style could be described as a mixture between Oliver Kahn and Oliver Twist. It's Lewis. I love that. A little bit of a change of pace, but yeah. We have got a host of topics for you today, starting with the Manchester Derby and taking a look at all the fun that goes with that. Billy is obviously very pleased, but he will keep himself unbiased. Isn't that correct, Bill? We are professionals. Then we'll also have a look at Liverpool. How far can they slide? Europa League is now a very, very big question mark. Champions League almost out of range. Then we move over to the Bundesliga, where we obviously have a look at Der Klassiker and what a match it was. Finally, a top match that delivers on the promise. And we also have a look at Gladbach. Their season is spinning out of control. How much does that have to do with the manager announcement? And then we round it off with a nice little new segment that we like to call the Match Day Moment of Madness or the Triple M. And we'll tell you all about that when we get to it. But now let's launch into the Premier League. And I'm sorry, Billy, we're going to have to talk Liverpool first because it did happen before the Manchester Derby. Okay. Are you good with that? We'll spend a little bit of time. I'm good with that. I'm happy with that. He's happy with that. They've never lost more than four games in a row at Anfield. They're now up to six. I, I don't want to like, I'm Okay. I'm going to say this. This isn't, this decline in Liverpool, and it isn't a blip anymore. No. It's a decline. It's not because of Van Dijk. It's no. not because Henderson's injured. There's something much deeper. You know, I, I still thought they'd probably get a goal against Fulham, and barring Joachim Anderson's last-minute block, they would have done. True, true. I just don't know. I Personal circumstances, yeah, okay. People have lost parents and that's horrendous. But it, it feels like Liverpool have lost purpose and intensity and maybe Jurgen Klopp's lost tactical control. Yeah, it's hard to argue because they just did not seem to have their heads in it. I mean, it was, it just looked like a team that were mentally drained. Like, you know, in all fairness, they did have, you know, the, the injuries and that. And that's obviously going to be mentally draining, especially when you've got so much of your squad, you know, the back line. I have no idea how many pairings they've gone through this this season. I think we were up to 18 before uh, this match. 19 it's now. Something stupid like that. Yes, you take that into account. But at some point, you have to say that, you know, they've got their Fab 3. They've had their Fab 3 back. They've now got Diogo Jota back. He started today's match. They didn't field a completely crap team. And I'm sorry, but they fielded a team that should be beating that Fulham side. Because Fulham this season have been, for lack of a better word, crap. They've been nothing special. And no one expected Fulham to get any points out of this match, even two weeks ago. 
But obviously, you know, given the most recent performances, now Anfield is much less a fortress and it's more just like a shack. I, it's difficult to put your finger on exactly why and exactly what is going on. But I think Jamie Carragher said it best that Salah and Mane almost sort of sabotage each other. Yeah. Because you've got moments where Salah won't pass to Mane and vice versa. And also he, he, he highlighted a moment where Mane probably should have gone down under a challenge in the box. Salah takes the penalties. That, that's that's a big. That's a little bit stirring the pot, almost a little bit. There is like <laughs> Jamie Carragher is turning to you know shit stirrer in chief at this point. But yeah, I mean, there it's it's hard to argue because now obviously every single little thing is going to be nitpicked in that in Liverpool's performances. Just then, you know, it highlights it perfectly. Who would have thought, you know, yeah, Salah is not going to go down the box because uh, I mean, sorry, Mane is not going to go down in the box before Salah is going to take the penalties. You know, it might as well be that that's just complete BS. But still, at this point, you're searching for answers in that Liverpool side. And, you know, it goes to show that when that that's it was Salah's mistake that cost Liverpool and ended up giving the ball away and Fulham scoring. Because when was the last time you said, oh, yeah, Mo Salah's mistake led to Liverpool conceding? I don't think that's ever been said in the same sentence. No, it's a rarity. It was a good goal by Mario Lamina. I mean, take nothing away oh, from him. It's his no, first no. goal for Fulham. But moving slightly away from that game, because Liverpool just had no idea. But this is the worst title defence ever. This isn't... Oh, yeah. This is worse than David Moyes' tenure at United. This is worse than that season under Jose, where Chelsea were like 10th at one point. It took Sir Alex 16 years to lose five Premier League games at Anfield. It's taken Thiago six and a half weeks to lose six. It's a depressing stat, isn't it? And it's also you have to you have to say that you know at some point you you're going to be asking the fact asking or questioning the mentality of the players because. As you've rightly said, you know, the, this, this is such an unbelievably subpar title defense. And it's, it's not down. You can't put it down to injuries or, you know, or, or the tight schedule. And we've argued about this. But at this point, you know, there's, there is something very wrong in that dressing room. And it's, it's almost, I don't want to say it, it's like when Jurgen Klopp had his last season at Dortmund where, you know, everyone was like, you know, Klopp, you can never imagine him leaving and you can never imagine him, you know, be having a bad season or such a bad season that people start questioning his job. But then that last season that he had at Dortmund where Dortmund at one point were, you know, on the relegation or in the relegation zone. And it's kind of, and this season with Liverpool kind of has the same vibe. I'm by no means saying that Klopp should be fired because anyone who says that is off his rocker. Like there, there's just, it shouldn't be happening. Like Jurgen Klopp for all of that he's done for Liverpool and everyone knows he's a great manager. I, I genuinely believe that he will write the ship, but I'm still saying the season has that kind of vibe in the sense that I'm saying this season, 
Liverpool could very well be staring at not have any European football next season. So yeah, for a team like how Liverpool, for how they have been, that's insane. And I've just had oh, a look yeah. at it now. This Liverpool team has five less points than David Moyes' United team did. And he was given the boot after seven months. But then again, he didn't win the club's first Premier League title in 30 years. So that obviously is going to give Jurgen Klopp a grace period. Oh, 100%. I'd say that Jurgen Klopp is definitely will not be booted at any point in this season and he'll definitely finish out the season. But I would say if these results basically keep prolonging into the next season or Liverpool don't drastically reset after this season, then he will probably get the sack. Only problem would be that then at that point, who are you going to get in for Liverpool manager? But I think that that is still so far down the road that I think we asking that question right now is just, it's very premature. I mean, you ask any Liverpool fan, probably after what happened today in the Fulham game and what happened with Rangers today. A couple years, they'll probably take Steven Gerrard. Could be, could be. But I think it just goes to show that as good as a manager is and as good as a tenure he may have, that nothing in this business is for certain and nothing is forever. Because I think, you know, Jurgen Klopp was more or less indestructible after winning the first Premier League trophy in 30 years. You know, you have to just say that he wins Liverpool the Champions League in dramatic fashion. He li- he wins Liverpool the first Premier League title in 30 years. He's basically made himself invincible. Like, he's Teflon. There were all those comparisons to Shankly. It's like, it sounds a bit crazy, but you can kind of, yeah, okay. So many managers, like Rafa Benitez never did it. Yeah. They came close under Brendan Rodgers, but... Gerard famous slip. I don't know. It's a weird one at Liverpool. And before we move on from that, I think, can we just reach out to the Premier League? Can we award Fulham some points for Scott Parker being the best-dressed manager in the league, please? Oh, Yeah. Whereas he, I mean, he's the only he's the only Premier League manager who actually has a genuinely decent wardrobe at this point, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, Pep's just ditched it for that jumper, which is fair enough. It's a good cause behind it. True, true. But every week he pulls out something new, and I really enjoy it. <laughs> there you go. But I think we can now move on to the biggest match of the day. And that was obviously the Manchester Derby. And I have to say, I was saying to you at the beginning, it's going to be a close match. But in my mind, I would have probably have put my money on City to win it. Oh, gotcha. It was was so, so weird. I mean, obviously, after 30 seconds of penalty, no no doubt about that. I mean, it was, as you said uh, about, was it Brighton? It was a penalty against Brighton a few, few weeks back. But it is such a forwards tackle in the box. Clumsy, mistimed. I mean, what is Gabriel Jesus even doing back there? Well, he, he lost the ball from Cancelo's throwing. But he's got Stones, Diaz, Zinchenko all around Martial as it is. 
doesn't need to be back there. Yeah, you're told to go and get the ball back, but it's not, a, you know, I don't buy this, oh, it's just big game, big derby, rush of blood to the head. No, it's just idiotic no. and stupid from him. doesn't need to be there. No, he doesn't. I mean, obviously, if you give United a penalty, 99 times out of 100, Bruno Fernandes is putting that away, and he did. Obviously, with a little bit of luck, because Ederson did get a hand to that, but penalty was in, goals goals there, and it obviously, a derby gets a lot easier when you go 1-0 up within the first two minutes. And I'd say just on the whole, you have to give such credit to the way Solskjaer set up United and the way United actually defended. Because as much as it was a very defensive performance, I think it still should be applauded that, uh, that you know, you have two lines of four who are more or less just 10 yards apart the whole time. They were so compact. I mean, City were City had no idea how to get through it. They were resorting to long-range shots. The closest they probably got was uh, Rodri in the 46th minute when he puts it right onto the uh, or right onto the crossbar, and that was a long-range shot. And to say that about Pep's Manchester City is saying a lot. I don't think it's. I don't think I've seen a lot of things like people tweeting and saying, oh, well, it was just a smash and grab. City batters United. It was constant, but there was no threat. It was all craft and very little substance. Oh, God, yeah. And I think first 30 seconds, the first time they've been behind in a game since the 26th of November, which is insane on its own. But I think it was a yeah. shock to the system. Yeah, they, they genuinely seemed unsure as to how to react. Yeah, there was a lot of talk of Dean Henderson in goal. First time that De Gea hasn't played in the Manchester derby since Rooney's overhead kick game in 2011. But he's he's with his wife at the birth of his first child. But Dino wasn't challenged at all. No, most of the shot, like you have to say, if you just took a look at the statistics... Obviously, total shots, Manchester City, Manchester City, 23. But of those 23 shots, even the ones that went on target, and given of those 23 shots, only six went on target. Half of those were like, you know, shots outside the box that were just easy grabs for Henderson, and they didn't really challenge him at all. And the other ones, you know, if, if we're being honest, there were probably only three real chances, and those were Rodri, Mares, and um, Sterling. And the one where St- and Sterling's chance wasn't even a shot on goal because he completely mistimed it and scuffed it. It went out for a corner kick or a throw, and I can't remember which. I'm convinced he must have wronged a gypsy or a witch or something. Oh yeah, 22 games against United, he's still not scored, and he doesn't look like scoring when he plays against United. I mean, I don't know how that that cross by Kyle Walker was. It, it was. On a silver platter. I mean, all Sterling was on his own. He had lost Lindelof. He was onside. I mean, obviously, yes, we're going to say it's an easy tap in, but I'm sorry, as a professional, and also given the high quality of of a player that Sterling is, he should be putting that away any day of the week. Absolutely, but he he had no joy the entire game. Like Wambasaka. Oh, no. 
dealt with him and blunted him. And I think it was really important for Wan-Bissaka that Gareth Southgate was there. Oh, yeah. Because there's internationals in a couple of weeks. And there's been a lot of talk about if he doesn't start playing for England, he's going to change to the Democratic Republic of Congo, which I think someone as good one-on-one as Wan-Bissaka is. That'd be a shame. And how bad Trent Alexander-Arnold's been this season. Oh, yeah. I think you'd be hard-pressed, and this is being as unbiased as I can be in this situation, you'd be unpressed in the next set of internationals, the World Cup qualifiers, for England to not play Wan-Bissaka, Luke Shaw, or both. Yeah, I mean, you have to, obviously, because, you know, with Liverpool basically supplying Trent Alexander-Arnold for the most of the time and everyone thinking that he was more or less invincible, you know, you would have thought there's no way that Luke Shaw ever makes it in that team. And, you know, up to this season, or I'd even say halfway through this season, I would have said, yeah. But, you know, you have to say there was a resurgence of Luke Shaw since the years, uh, since the start of the year. And it's yeah, been pe- unreal. People talk about the renaissance of John Stones into the Barnsley Beckenbauer. But Luke Shaw is becoming some sort of like South Coast Roberto Carlos. And I think it's probably to do with Alex Tellers or partly to do with Alex Tellers. Because everyone was like, okay, we finally got a good left back. Because we hadn't, there was really no actual competition. Brandon Williams played last year because Luke Shaw was injured, all of it. But he's upped his game completely. And if, if anyone deserved a goal, if anyone deserved that goal, it was Luke Shaw. Yeah, yeah. But he, he ran from inside his own half. That, that's what I mean. I think the, the United performance is very much personified by the fact of uh, that goal. But even more so, I think, was Marcus Rashford putting in a sprint from the city box all the way back to his own box and tackling... I want to say it was Riyad Mahrez. Yeah. Before he went off it, right before he went off injured. That was, you know, United's game in a nutshell. City may have had United's number in every stat in this game, but the soft stats, wanting like wanting to win the game or wanting to win more, and just pure passion and pure fight, United had tens of thousands of ounces more of that than City did today. And that's why they won. They just wanted it more. I'm not going to sit here and say that it makes a massive difference to the league because I think that'd be naive from anyone. Barring some catastrophic collapse, City are going to win the league. But this is the third time that Solskjaer has beaten Guardiola at the Etihad. He's also the first manager to win three away games against any Pep team anywhere. There you go. I mean, I think it also highlights, um, you know, the fact that that of what Guardiola said after the Champions League um, first leg of the round of 16 was where everyone was lauding City and PSG for being, you know, the favorites. And Guardiola said, I don't know about you guys, you know, but I'd look at Bayern. If anything, they're they're the favorites. And I think the contrast of what we're going to talk about in a second 
of the way Bayern played when they went down and the way City played when they went down. That shows why Pep Guardiola said that. Yeah, I can. I can't argue with it. And before we talk about that, you mentioned it in the intro. A new section. Oh, and I'm really, really happy about this. We actually dreamed this up just today. And then we have a new section called the match day moment of madness. And we just thought we'd have a little perusal of all the highlights and take a look at which moments really stuck out just for, you know, because they were purely batshit crazy and they shouldn't be happening. And we've gotten a couple of those together. We're talking things like Steven Gerrard slip against Liverpool. Yes. Or Massimo Taibi letting Leticia's shot go through his legs in 1999. Moments or like that. Rob, or Rob Green in the World Cup 2010. <laughs> I'm sorry I had to bring that one up. <laughs> okay. But anyways, I thought we'd start with that miss. And I mean, man, size. It was a yard out. Come on. I'm not going to sit here and say I could have scored that. But I'm fairly sure I could have scored that. Yeah, I'm sorry. You, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say I could have scored that. But I am going to sit here and say I could have scored that. Because, I mean, all he has to do is he just has to put his foot in. But, I mean, he leans back as far as he possibly can, and he manages to put it over the bar. I mean, that takes – it It was more probable – like, the chances of him scoring that were 99, to 99 out of 100 times. The chances of him putting it over the bar were, one to, like, 100 to 1. And he still managed it. I don't how, – how do you manage it? It's the thing that I'm – I'm trying to work out because surely it's harder from that far out to get it over the bar. That's what I'm saying. And it would have won the game for Wolves as well, which is doubly oh. bad. But this is, we don't dwell on many of these moments of madness. As we say, they are moments of madness. And I think someone who knows a little bit about how hard it is to do that is Granite Shaka. <laughs> Our next moment of madness. Granite Xhaka managed. I, I don't think you could. He couldn't. I'm actually speechless. I'm speechless. He manages. He he gets the ball from Lino in his own box, and he wants to pass it across, and he somehow manages to pass it like hip height, and it it just ricochets off the Burnley striker into the goal. He kicks it against Chris Wood, and it goes in, and it's like. It's just another moment in the long list of reasons why Arsenal fans really don't like Granite Xhaka. Because I should never have left Gladbach, really. Well, I mean, what, what is the first rule that you're taught? You never play it across the back. And it's like... it's that, Never play it across your own goal. Yeah, it's that new rule. Just because you can kick off from inside your own box doesn't mean you have to. Doesn't mean you should. Yeah, and it doesn't mean you should. Well, in the case of Arsenal, definitely shouldn't. Yeah. 
I mean, they, they literally can't string two passes together. But now we move over to the Bundesliga and we're going to leave the Premier League for today. And we start with the moment of madness in the Bundesliga, which was Otavio's challenge on Munas Dabur in the Wolfsburg-Hoffenheim match. And I think that is as red a card as you will ever see. Well, what did I say to you before we started recording? If they gave out Pushcast Awards for tackles, it's a perfect scissor. It literally is. I mean, the guy literally goes with both. He jumps at the back of Dabua, both legs open. And as he makes contact with Dabua, closes closes his legs like a pair of scissors. I mean, the fact that Dabua doesn't suffer some horrendous injury is actually unbelievable. But it's one of those things. They were 2-1 down. 94 minutes into the game. It wouldn't have changed anything. They would have just been 3-1 down. Like, what's the point? Exactly. It's a needless red card. If the ball was going to score anyway because Castiles was out of his goal, chasing yeah. back. But I, I sometimes wonder what goes through a player's head because footballers aren't stupid. But when you see someone oh, do yeah. something like that, it just feeds the stereotype that they're all thick. If it had been Wolfsburg were up to one, then I would have understood that tackle all day. But then Definitely. again, if they had been up, to, yeah. But if they had been up to one, Castillas would have also not been through on goal. He wouldn't have been out of his own goal. So, kind of makes this is also that, true. Uh, well, it's like it's a moo point. It's like a cow's opinion. Doesn't matter. Just doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. But moving on, it's kind of a little theme we've got going in uh, in our episode today. Each league has one team that is kind of spiraling out of control, and then we've got the big match. So as we did with the Premier League, we'll start with the team that's spiraling out of control, and that is Borussia Mönchengladbach. They lost again, and this time it was 1-0 to Bayer Leverkusen. And Bayer Leverkusen have not been on form exactly, if we're being honest. I mean, they lost against Freiburg last week. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I was actually surprised that Bayer Leverkusen hadn't slipped farther than fifth. I mean, through this win, obviously, they propelled themselves to fifth. But I, I was surprised, they, even with the win, that they weren't out of European places. But Gladbach, I mean, they're 10th now. The level on points with Stuttgart, they're three points ahead of Hoffenheim. I mean, I, I maintain what I said. The other week, Marco Rose doesn't give a shit anymore, does he? Let's be honest. He doesn't. I mean, the last five, yeah. It's like if you've handed in your two weeks notice at work, you've got very little motivation to do anything but the bare minimum. I mean, the fact that you even show up at that point is already the bare minimum. And if we're being honest, four losses out of the last five matches and not a single win. Can uh, can Mikhail Zorc get on the phone and reverse his decision. I mean, at this point, you'd probably be thinking, yeah, they want to. It's 
it's an appalling it's an appalling thing and Jens Lehmann said it perfectly on the Kia football debate this morning on Sky Sports Germany the only reason there are only two reasons that Rose is still in that in that position or sorry there's only one reason that Rose is in that position it's because there's no better alternative because I guarantee you if Max Eber actually had someone lined up ready to go who could take over at a moment's notice Rosa would have been fired already but it's literally the lack of available good managers who can who can already take over mid-season that is the reason that Rosa is even in there because I can guarantee you this would have gone down a lot differently if there had been fans in the stadium imagine there had been fans Rosa's head would have been asked for Like, like I said a couple of weeks ago, you don't like to think that people mentally check out of a position or a job. But some of the games they've been losing, like, yeah, Leverkusen, okay, they lost to Dortmund in the cup quarterfinal. 3-2 against Leipzig. They lost to Mainz, for Christ's sake. Like, they lost to Mainz, they drew with Wolfsburg, and they lost to FC Kern. It's like, come on, man. This is not a manager who wants to be there still. This isn't a manager who, who is putting his all into this job. And he's obviously lost the dressing room. I mean, there's actual talk of players who are openly questioning the manager. But then again, that's the thing. It's so... I understand... Actually, no, I don't understand. That's the point I'm trying to make. I don't understand why you would announce a manager's appointment from another team midway through a season. Because it's he, ridiculous. Those players now know he can't do anything. He's he's there, but it's just a a puppet, a figurehead. He's got no authority over those players anymore. Because if he drops them, they know that come the end of the season, he's gone anyway. So if someone yeah, like yeah. Lars Stindl, he's the captain, isn't he? Yeah. If Lars Stindl comes out and was like, oh, well, I don't think we should do that, boss. He just goes, oh, well, I'll drop you. I was like, all right, then three months and you're out of the job anyway. I'll sit on the bench and get paid for three months. It, it, it was so stupid. And I'll tell you this much. It'll also diminish his, his authority at Dortmund because at Dortmund, they're going to be looking at him now being like, wow, this guy, Really? Because before the announcement, everyone was like, yeah, okay, we could see him going to Dortmund. And he was doing, even though Gladbach's season was taking a little bit of a downward turn, he was still doing very well with what he had. And Rose has done a good job with Gladbach up until the, the announcement. And then it would have made total sense. Now, there's, there's absolutely no way that Dortmund fans will be happy about getting Rose at the end of the season, especially with the, when they've actually had an, had an uptake in form under Terzic in the last few matches, barred the obvious one. I was going to say, if he gets them any further in this, cha- this season's Champions League, surely there's going to be fans and even senior management thinking, well, a bit of a rash and hasty decision, really, to announce it when they did. Surely you wait till yeah. season's end. I mean, if there's any winner, really, it's got to be Edin Terzic because he literally has nothing to lose at this point. Well, if anything, his stock's going up. 
I w- genuinely wouldn't be surprised to see him get a job off the back of this. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, he definitely has. He obviously has the stuff to cope with. You know, the divas and the stars. So I could see him becoming a very successful head coach for any mid league, mid table club in any of Europe's top five leagues. Really. Well, on the subject of that man. <laughs> Come on, I know you want to. Okay, but you you were you were very unbiased, so I gotta I'm I'm definitely gonna be unbiased about this one too. But obviously, everyone was very very happy about the match because, well, except Dortmund fans. But I'd say any neutral supporter was gonna be happy about that match because that was about as top match as a top match can get. Six goals, back and forth. No real boring passages of play. But if anything, it just goes to show that Bayern have a mentality that no other team in any of Europe's top five leagues have. I mean, to go 2-0 down inside nine minutes is pretty special. Oh, it was a spectacularly shit start to the match for Bayern. I mean, it couldn't have gone any worse. It really couldn't have. I mean, the, fir- the first goal, or no, it was the second goal. Second goal, Zula and Sane just make for the worst defensive pairing on that right-hand side ever. And the first goal, Boateng waits for Haaland to basically pick out which corner he wants to put the ball into. And he gives him way too much space. And anyone, everyone knows. Everyone knows. You give Haaland more than like half a yard of space, he's going to put it home. And he well, did just that. Well, they, they were goals 99 and 100. And he got 100 goals in 146 games. I'm going to play a game of higher or lower with you. Kylian Mbappe, 100 goals in higher or lower than 146 games. Higher. Very well, 180. Lionel Messi. 100 goals in higher or lower than 180 games. Higher, but not by much. It is higher, 210. Jesus, that much? I was going to say, I was going to peg Messi at about 160 max. Damn. Cristiano Ronaldo. 100 goals, higher or lower? Lower, but not by much. 301. Jesus Christ. So to put that into perspective, two of the greatest players to ever play football. And maybe the hottest talent. Yeah, exactly. Maybe the hottest talent like right now. Scored 100 goals in more. Ronaldo is over double the get. Granted, he was a, a winger. And the other two have played centrally. But still, three double, more than double Erling Haaland, which is utterly insane. It's an unreal stat. I mean, even if Ronaldo, you know, played as a winger, Ronaldo right now has the most goals of he's he's up in the top 5 of most goals scored in their in his career 
He scored yeah. more goals than Messi in his career. Well, he he reached 100 when he was at United. I think it was 2008. Yeah, 2008 season. But since he moved to Madrid, he became some wizard. Yeah. You know, that's, what, that's when he reached his peak, his 50 goals a season type. Yeah. But this is ridiculous. He's in like his fifth professional season after being at Mulder and at RB Salzburg. He's not even 21. It's ridiculous. Guy is so, an absolute machine. Come on, Ollie. Reunite yourself with this lad. You know it. Well, makes I think sense. it was, I think it was you who said that any hope of that happening goes out the door because uh, Haaland's dad, Alf Inge Haaland, has still not forgiven Roy Keane for that horrendous challenge in the Manchester Derby. When was it? Nineteen? Oh, no, it was like two thousand or something. Nineteen ninety-nine, two thousand. Yeah, something around that. I mean, would you? And I'm, I was about to say that tackle by Roy Keane. That's disgusting. It's kind of, okay. A bit of context. I'm not defending Roy Keane, <laughs> but season before, Alf Ingharland had done some something similar, not the same, but he had ended Roy Keane's season. So Roy Keane decides to effectively end Alf Ingharland's career. I think he played one more game after that, and it wasn't even for Man City. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. As much maybe he might have ended Roy Keane's season, but ending a man's career, I'm gonna yeah, back. Roy Keane's never one. done anything by halves. Yeah, he really hasn't. He he goes. Uh, he doesn't do eye for an eye. He does eye for a for a freaking fingernail. Eye for a heart. But from yeah. one ridiculous striking record to another. A man that now needs only nine goals to equal the all-time goal-scoring record by Gerd Müller, which is utterly insane because you just know it's happening this season. It's a matter of if. No, sorry. It's a matter of when and not if. Oh, 100%. Because there are still nine matches to be played. And Lewandowski just scored a hat trick yesterday. And it was against, you know, it wasn't against freaking Bielefeld. It was against Dortmund. The guy will score hat tricks against anyone. He can probably score a hat trick against Manchester City if he tried. He did, the guy literally does not care who is on the other side of that pitch. He will score. I mean, he's, if he keeps producing at the rate he does, he's on track and this has mathematically been uh, calculated by Sky Sports Germany. He's on track to score 44 goals in 34 matches in a bonus. This is just the league. Just the league. He's got 31 goals in 24 matches. That is insane. See, and I thought he peaked last season. No. (laughs) Oh, what a fool I am. That's, I mean, but you wouldn't have been, you know, it's not wrong to think it because last season was already unreal. If he breaks this record. I didn't think it could get better than, what was it, 50... Five? 56. 56 goals. In a season, yeah. But I want to talk... Sorry, Karen. The guy... I think we may have to talk about him being the best number nine of all time. If he breaks Gerd Müller's record, he he 
that is that is I'm not even sure if we have to ask that question. We just have to make the statement. Sorry, have you heard of Alan Shearer? I'm jo- I'm 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 joking. <laughs> Want to put that out there? Don't at me on Twitter. Don't email me because I don't care. Out of interest, I probably should know this, but what is Gerd Müller's all-time goal-scoring record? No, he's nine goals away from from beating the all-time record of Bundesliga goals in a single season. Gerd oh, I completely scored... got the wrong end of the stick with this. Sorry. Yeah. I Gerd was thinking, Müller scored, yeah. No, I was Gerd Müller about... scored 365 goals. Oh, like yeah. Bundesliga no, goals. Okay, yeah, we'll just do that again then. See, I was thinking that they were talking about like Alan Shearer's goal score record of 260. <laughs> yeah, see, Getman has 365 and Lewandowski right now is third with 267. I highly doubt Lewandowski is going to score 100 more Bundesliga goals in his career. But I mean, the way he's playing right now, mm, you never know. know. But I think we still have to talk quickly about the match. And I think as I said, you know, the mentality of Bayern is unbelievable. And that's what makes this loss so bad for Dortmund because Dortmund thought they had a chance and everyone thought Dortmund had a chance. And even when it looked like Bayern were down and out, Dortmund still ended up getting smacked. That's the thing. The first 20 minutes, it was all Dortmund. Oh, yeah. But then... At the end, like, okay, yeah. Goretzka gets the the goal to make it 3-2. Great volley, by the way. But then what happens after that? They completely capitulated and just wilted. Here's the thing, right? They didn't press as high. Like, they were letting themselves get pressed very, very far into their own half, even after, like, like, it was already starting after about 20 minutes. Like the first 20 minutes, it seemed Dortmund were like were on fire, but then it seemed as if the fire, like they burned out after 20 because then they started get, letting themselves get pushed back into their own half. And at that point, Bayern basically just, they just kept their cool. They're like, we're down 2 0, but it's all good. Like, we're, we got this, we got this. And they just kept pressing. I mean, the amount of pressure Dortmund were under from about the 25th minute to the 45th minute was unreal. I think any team would have cracked at that point. You know, and then you just have the magic that is Robert Lewandowski to put it away. But also one thing that really gets me was obviously there was that that uh, 50-50 challenge between Sané and Emre Can in the run-up to Goretzka's goal. And Royce went on the airwaves right after the match on Sky Sports Germany and said, if, Bayern, if it had been the other way around and it had been Bayern, they would have gotten that foul. And he said, the whole match, Bayern were getting that foul. He didn't clearly say Bayern ha- there's a Bayern bonus when it comes to referees, but he did. First of all, he's the captain. The fact that he's making those statements as a captain just goes to show he's a sore loser. There's... That was not the reason Dortmund lost. Dortmund lost because they capitulated and because they let themselves get pushed so far back into their own half that it was a matter of time until Bayern put four or five past them. Bayern dominated the game from basically the minute, the 25th minute onwards. 
I think from second half onwards, it looked a matter of if, not when, because they couldn't get the ball to Haaland to chase on to. But no. that tackle, Emre Chan initiates the contact. He loses the battle against Sane and then cries like a what, like, like a petulant brat. But I, I get why Marco Royce is so like sour because, come on, if you were 2 new up, in nine minutes, absolutely cruising, and they lost the game four two. Yeah, but then, then you look at the then you look for the fault in yourself. Also, Marco Roy he really didn't he, do much at all. I'm sorry. Yeah. Also, he he goes off about that tackle, but are we going to ignore the fact that there should have been a handball penalty called as well in the first half, where he basically where he basically tries to elongate his shoulder and it just hits his bicep? Given. That's a. It's not a clear penalty. I'm never going to say that that's a penalty all clear as day, but I'm saying it was also a questionable call. You have seen them given. Exactly, especially this season. Also, I'm sorry, but Leroy Sané weighs about 75 kilos. Ember Chan weighs about 10 kilos more. I that game and that moment, that incident. If you isolate that, it just fits with what I've said about Emre Chan already on this podcast he's jack of all trades and master of none of them he's not very good at the back not very good in midfield very little going forward occasionally pop up with a screamer but other other than that nothing yeah yeah you're you're not wrong you're not wrong and i think it's also the um like the the match itself is also kind of a a it basically paints a picture of what Bayern's season has been defensively shaky but compensating for that defensive shakiness with an absolute monster of an attack i mean it is literally it is scary how they still produce doesn't matter. They could probably catch five goals and they'd still be like, all right, well, then we'll score eight. At one point, I'll be honest, I did feel quite sorry for Thomas Mounier. He finally saw the back of Kingsley Coman and then Serge Gnabry came on. <laughs> See, that, that's what I'm saying as well, is that Bayern's depth. That's just stupid. I mean, we also have to talk about the fact that poor Nico Schutz was... I mean, Leroy Sané probably had one of his best games in a Bayern shirt this season. And he was spinning Nico Schultz left, right, and center. I mean, the poor guy probably didn't know which way was up or down by the time that first half finished. A few City fans calling for, like, begging why did they sell Leroy Sane? I mean, I still maintain that he's going to need this full season to kind of sort himself out and get himself back on track. But next season, he'll probably do a lot better but I wouldn't expect any big things from Leroy Sané this season yet, like consistently. He'll produce the odd, you know, flash of brilliance, but I think this season that'll be, uh, that would be it. That will be all about it. Fuck me, I can't even talk. I have to edit the shit out. That'll be it. <laughs> uh, I can't, I can't put my finger on on who's probably going to win the league because it'll probably now come down to 
the game in later this month, Dortmund, uh, Dortmund, Bayern against Leipzig. Only two points behind Bayern. Yeah. And both teams, other than that one, have very winnable games left. Yeah, yeah. But you spoke like, you know, City went goal down, they went another goal, they went two down. And they looked so disinterested and there was no end product. And Kevin De Bruyne was, he didn't go missing. He was just visibly crap. Yeah, it's just out of it. You know, Bernardo Silva was left on the bench for Christ's sake. And Aguero was as well. You flip that. (laughs) You flip that for Bayern. They go two goals down. They compose themselves. They get two back. And then they bring on the likes of Serge Gnabry. And go for the kill. That's why I'm saying. That's why I still think that as bad as Bayern are at the back, they're still going to be favorites to win the Champions League. Because if you look at PSG, PSG have been good for you know a monumental screw up at the best of times this season. It's why they're still second in the league. Manchester City just proved today that they don't quite yet have that mentality of. We go one or two goals down. We'll pick ourselves back up and get back at it. Well, and I'm yeah. Before obviously before this weekend, I probably would have agreed with you and said City and PSG. I'd have to say I'd flip that. It's weird. the The Champions League is going to be an interesting one. And the European edition will be back this week. Love that. <laughs> PSG are good for a, a screw up, and Barcelona have kind of sorted themselves out a little bit. They're now up to second in La Liga. And yeah, but they've got four away goals. <laughs> they had, well, it was home goals last time, wasn't it? Exactly. Uh, we already have been through this. Barcelona are out of the Champions League. They got four four goals at home. Oh, look, it's just the misty-eyed romantic in me that wants Barcelona to come back and win. And I really don't like PSG. So Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but I think that's probably a perfect place to end. Too right you are. I was about to suggest the same thing. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, comment on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. We are posting daily content about the latest breaking news. Also, make sure to head over to Spotify, Google Podcasts, and check out our RSS feed. We're ever so grateful. But thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.